Hello and welcome to another edition of On Mike with Jordan Rich. Today, we meet a young man whose dream at an early age was to be on the air, specifically in sports. His name is Alex Reamer, and Boston area listeners certainly know of his work on the popular all-sports talk radio station, WEEI, where Alex hosted his own show, but more famously had a seat on the controversial morning program. He's open about his lifestyle and has had to endure quite a bit of taunting both on and off the air, but he's not one to back down. We'll touch on what it's been like for him thrust into the spotlight at such a young age, something I can identify with having started my career in a major market when I was about his age. Alex is a successful columnist and reporter, having written for the Boston Herald, Forbes Magazine, Boston Magazine, currently managing editor for Outsports, a leading LGBTQ site. And he's still employed at WEEI, producing a ton of content for their digital media department. He's a good guy with a story worth sharing. So let's do so with Alex Reamer as we go on mic. Tell me a little bit about when and how the dream evolves, when this all started for you in your life. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, so you started doing radio in high school, right? For, yeah. for, for your high school station. So I started along a similar time in my life. I started a little younger because uh, it was the mid-aughts. So podcasting and blogging were things. Um, and I always loved sports. So I started in sports and my goal was to work in sports um, and uh, I also had a passion for getting my voice out there and blogging and podcasting seems like the perfect way to do that. And that's really Jordan kind of where my love for all of this started. I had a passion for just being a loudmouth, I guess. <laughs> and, and this was the platform in which to do it. My love for the craft of journalism and broadcasting came later, but it really was just a desire to get my voice out there. I think you have to have a little bit of that in you. I, I know I do and uh, did. And I still do. And I think it's inbred, this idea that you want to be heard and, and not just right. that, but you want to make a difference. I get the sense that you're you're trying to affect people, uh, hopefully in a positive way. Sometimes that's not always possible. But talk a little <laughs> bit about what it means to be on the air. Well, it's kind of narcissistic, right? We think that our, our opinion or our voice uh, means something. I, I think narcissism, I think, is, is, is the root of a lot of this. But um, it just... Again, there's no way to really say this without sounding narcissistic, but especially when I worked at WEI on a full-time basis, I felt like I had a valuable voice and perspective to bring to the conversation where, yes, sports talk radio, sure, we talk about the games, we talk about trades, but as you know, it's not really about sports. Most of the stuff you talk about are these cultural, social issues through the lens of sports. And in the world of talk radio in general, especially terrestrial talk radio, it's primarily comprised with white straight cis men. And I felt I'm white, I'm a cis man, but I am gay. And I thus have a bit of a different experience. So I always felt like I was trying to bring just a different perspective that a lot of our audience hadn't heard and a different voice that gets filtered out in a lot of the conventional sports media still. So that's what it turned into yeah. uh, as I went further along my career. And of course, winding up as as I did at a Boston station in your 20s is pretty unusual why we share certain things in common. I mean, you in a yeah. sense, you start out at the number one sports station at the time. There's a lot of pressure on you to perform and to, to come through, I, I would imagine. It was insane. I mean, not, and I'm a very anxious person myself. And I think that's another common denominator between a lot of radio guys and a lot of people, radio people. I think we 
all have certain things that we're dealing with because you basically are just sitting in a box talking into a microphone for hours a day. It has to do something eventually to you, right? But um, yeah, there was a lot of pressure to perform every time, especially when I was doing the morning show and early on, especially in my WEI career, as you mentioned, I was so young. I was 23 when I first started with them. So mm -hmm. I always felt like every time I went on the air, I had something to prove and I had to show that their promotion of me and the investment that they made in me was worth it. So yeah, I always felt like I had to make a mark. The, the idea of doing a sleepy show never crossed my mind. And I think that worked to a large extent and helped me to a large extent. But as I'm sure we'll discuss that also sometimes worked against me and was kind of my detriment early on. And early on in my career, Jordan was really about finding that balance. How do I balance this desire to make an impact and be heard well, also not just being a total jackass and mm -hmm. also staying true to myself. And that's something that's challenging when you are in front of the mic. It is. It's interesting. When I heard you on that very, shall we say, energized morning show, there was that, Alex. But, but then, and we'll get into that kind of radio that is still prevalent. But then I would hear you on your own show at night, let's say, or doing a weekend shift where you were soloing and you were in a different place then. It was almost as if you had more command because you were the guy running the ship. Let's circle back to that morning show. I always felt you held your own under pretty tough battle conditions. Do you want to describe what that show was like? Battle conditions, yes. So I was basically <laughs> the pinata, and everybody from the host to the producers to the callers to the tweeters to the texters just took a swing at me, and I tried to survive. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was basic. You know, I, I loved debating on the air. And one thing that has always come easily to me was disagreeing with somebody over the air. I was always comfortable. I, I never took any of that stuff personally. When I was in college, I was working with Glenn Ordway. He was doing his Big Show Unfiltered project in between stints at EEI. And that really gave me a lot of experience. Like the good ones in this business want you to go at them. So when I got my first tryout with Jerry and Kirk, Jerry Callahan, Kirk Minahan of Kirk and Callahan, the highly energized show, as, as you put it. Which um, is no more, but that's beside the no point. Which is no more. Yes. That's radio. Um, <laughs> but that's, that is radio. But I, but I knew that they wanted me to argue with them and they wanted me to be combative. So that part of it, I never had a problem with. What was challenging was to be quick enough on your feet to, you, I, so I stake this position way out here. Now, how do I back this up? And there are so many rhetorical tricks that I use in radio and Jerry and Kirk, guys who have been in it for so long, especially Jerry, you know, I think would sometimes you know, just ask a simple follow-up question. Why do you think that? And you're not prepared for it. And it's hard to explain, you know, it's, so it's, it was hard to, it was hard to keep up at times, but I always tried to be as prepared as possible, which uh, I think helped me too. And again, just never had that fear. When in doubt, I went at them because I knew that's what well, they ultimately wanted. What's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on? Because uh, as somebody who caught the show often and listened to you and your segments, they were pretty compelling because you were under fire a lot, and you were controversial. You had to defend not only your point of view, but your lifestyle. I'm just wondering if you saw an evolution in that. Did the guys working with you and even the callers come to accept your life as opposed to your views or vice versa? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm sure there was some homophobia attached to the animus directed at me by some portion of the listeners. I'm sure that's true, but I honestly never really felt that. I was really attacked more for 
my political views mm. than anything else. And one thing about being openly gay on the air, talk about things that I struggled with earlier in my career was I always wanted to be myself. And I knew that being the openly gay liberal guy on that show in particular was my niche. And that was an, a lane that I don't think anybody else was filling in sports talk radio, not just in Boston, but really the country. So that's a lane that I really wanted to own. The conflict I got in was how to do it in a way that was still, I think, respectful to myself and respectful to the community at large. You know, when I started, we got a lot of traction. I would talk about going on gay dating apps. I would talk about gay nightlife and those segments at first blew up. So I wanted to keep doing more of them. But the problem was I didn't have that line. I didn't keep personal things personal. Mm. You know, I, I accidentally outed my boyfriend on the air on one of my yeah. first appearances. Uh, then he broke, then we had a breakup, which of course I announced mm. on the air. And that led him to calling in during one of the shows. And I'm sure it was compelling radio to the guy in the car, but it was mortifying to me. And I brought a lot of that on myself in that I, oh, it was hard for me to, Again, find that balance. I just keep going back to that. Early. As somebody who's been in this business since time began, I can tell you that it's a very difficult line to negotiate how much you right. share with the audience. And you you mentioned, and I thank you for reading my book, my latest, yes. my my latest, my only book that I've written yet. <laughs> but uh, but I do talk a lot about coming clean in in my world with what I had to talk about, and I'm not going to pat you or me on the back for this takes some courage yeah it's not like standing up in front of a, a horde of uh, bikers who want to beat you to, to a pulp we're not we're not, uh, we're not we're not in the in the trenches no we're not in the trenches we're not fighting in in real battles but particularly interesting when there's a guy like yourself who's a local guy you live in the community like you say your life is an open book at the moment and with the social media now you can be attacked were you uh under the uh, assault on social as well as on the air because a lot of people are obviously oh constantly yeah. yeah the harassment was pretty pretty intense um but it, you eventually just have to just filter it out and you know you're able to filter it out if you have management that supports you and that's something that i was always fortunate about uh you know in the radio studio you know jordan there's that text line right there and there's a lot of hosts who are lasered in on that sucker and if there's text after test text reamer sucks get them off i'm never listening again a lot of people would have said and a lot of program directors frankly would have probably said this just isn't working for our audience to their credit they didn't do that at yeah. weei and uh i i always will have a lot of gratitude for that because uh and, and, and knowing that I had the support and backing of management made it easier mm. for me to tune out that noise because that largely is what it was, noise. Now, folks, if you're thinking that's the end of a happy story, there is a moment, <laughs> and, and I, it's particularly cogent and important to bring it up now during the, quote, woke era. You had your own woke moment in a big way involving uh, the untouchable Tom Brady. I hate to have you bring it up and remind yourself of it, but what happened? What happened it's to rehearsed, you? It's rehearsed. It's rehearsed at this point. <laughs> um, I, uh, I was on the air doing a night show, and Tom Brady had his ultra-important Facebook series that came out, Tom vs. Time. I'm not sure if you remember I remember, that. yeah. Yeah, so the first episode, uh, the first scene, I think, he was in his kitchen with Giselle and his young kids, and his young daughter uh, was jumping up and down and, you know, being an excited 
three or four year olds, like most are. Uh, so I go on the air and I was with the night host, Mike Manansky, and he just asked me, oh, so Alex, you know, what'd you think of the Tom vs. Time series and me trying to just be, you know, okay, I'm this, I'm the, I'm the a-hole who hates everything. And I'm like <laughs> always trying to, again, start, you know, stir that pot. So I'm like, ah, oh, you know, it was fine. But boy, his kid was really being, you know, an annoying pissant, like, and then just moved on. And honestly, Jordan, I didn't think anything of it until it blew up. I mean, I really didn't. I probably said dozens of stupid things on the air that night. And that happened to be the one that caught traction. But I mean, that honestly was a quip. Like it wasn't like, yeah, go you, ahead. You did a lot for a word that hadn't been spoken and uttered for a long time. <laughs> Isn't that I, I, weird? You had people running to the OED and all the other famous dictionaries to look up the term. I mean, it, 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 if you had said anything else, I would have been disappointed. You said something that was, it was just a great word. But what happened? What happened? What was the uh, outcome professionally in that incident? It gave me a lot of perspective. And then at the time, it seemed like my world was absolutely ending. So it happened right around the Super Bowl. And they replayed the comment on the morning show the next day, which added, I think, more, of course. you know, attention to it. Because um, that's what they did. We talked about everything on that morning show. So that's what happened. And Brady had a weekly stint with the station, which was, I think, their most valuable guest spot. It was, you know, spot, every question was sponsored pretty much. I mean, that thing was a huge moneymaker. Um, and so we called in the following Monday. So about three, four days after the initial comments had been made and he reacted to it the way that I think any parent would have reacted to it. He was pretty upset and said, I don't know if I can continue to work with a radio station that insults my family. And he hung up the phone essentially. And from there I was sent home from the Super Bowl, and then suspended and then was kind of in the dark for a while. They kept me on, but I was writing online. I wasn't doing any on-air work. Um, and it really seemed like it would never end, but then it did. You know, looking back six months later, I was back on the air and back in morning drive. So yeah. it, 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 it's, it's, it radio changes so quickly, you know, Jordan. And that was a lesson that, as Buddha says, few circumstances are forever. And uh, that I think that's a prevailing lesson I got. from. Well, that. in an era in which Dr. Seuss is coming under attack and there are so many interesting Pepe Le Pew and all of these <laughs> symbols, it's getting to the point where, you know, you can't say anything almost without somebody being offended. What's your view overall, Alex, as somebody who's been through the ringer on this, on the, quote, cancel culture? I know some people blow it out of proportion, but yeah. it, it does exist. People are losing their gigs. It definitely does. Um, I have a couple thoughts on this. For, I think my incident is separate from a lot of what you're seeing now because it wasn't a stand I was taking. I was really just trying to make a joke and it was a stupid joke and it was a joke I regret. So I, I don't necessarily would put me in more of that like cancel culture category. You know, I wasn't trying to really make any sort of argument. Um, I don't like it as someone who's spent his life in the public eye. I think that there needs to be more leniency for things that people say on the air. And I, you know, I'm proof of it. And you, you've said, you know, when you're on the air for as many hours as radio people are, are on the air for, you're going to get exposed and you're going to misspeak. And I think there needs to be some more understanding of that. And in general, I just don't like this, the ugliness of we want blood and we mm. want it now. You know, to me, the line always gets drawn. We are public figures. If we say something that is wildly out of bounds, of course, we should pay the price for that. And of course, we should be challenged on that. But 
To me, it gets out of bounds when you then have people coalesce and say, let's try to get this person fired. Let's try to ruin his job and ruin his livelihood. Yeah. And it's almost a sport of it now. And it's it's disgusting. And, and you see yeah. this all the time. I mean, Teen Vogue has a new editor on board, uh, Alexi McC- McCamden, I believe, um, who was a White House reporter who is the new editor-in-chief. And she's under fire for a tweet she sent as a freshman in college. That were mm. despicable tweets with racist jokes, but she's an adult now. And, you know, like it's just, but there's just this hunger to ruin people's lives and Twitter just fuels into all of our worst right. inclinations, I, I think. I, I tend to agree. I want to move from that uh, to some other areas yeah. with Alex Reamer. It's safe to say uh, you digest sports material. You're hungry for information. I take it you were the kind of kid like me. I was only in baseball. That was my only sport that I paid attention to the box scores every day. But are you the kind of kid who's read sports bios, who follows play-by-play on certain days, read the paper, read the sports page? I, yes, played sports, but my real fun was trying to make up a baseball team for a payroll of like 30 million. (laughs) Like that was such a weird, like that's what I liked to do as a kid. Um, So I was there. I think I knew every player in Major League Baseball from the time I was like 12 years old up until college when I thankfully started to get a little more of a life, and you know, left my room once in a while. Right. so it was just this immense, immense love of, of sports early on. Uh, I followed everything. Um, interestingly enough, when I started working in sports media, I kind of pulled back from a lot of the day-to-day minutia because it becomes a job like anything else. And you're zeroed right. in on the stuff that draws for your job. And for us in radio, that is lightning rod issues. So I became a little more zeroed in on that stuff. But yeah, I, I read well, everything. Well, you... you- mention uh, sports and the connection to culture it's it's so interconnected and so interwoven these days i mean when lebron james speaks and says anything that's a cultural and political moment as well as a sports related moment and we see it everywhere with uh, tmz picking up on players and managers and coaches doing things they shouldn't be part of it's the technology but talk a little bit if you will with me about uh, the intersection and how it's really exploded. Talk radio, sports talk radio, you often hear more about, I mean, all the issues surrounding sports. The game is sometimes secondary. As the truth is, Jordan, outside of Patriots games, statistically, not many people are watching the games. That's just the truth. So such a large percentage of your audience that I guess back when people used to drive into work around here, um, they did not see last night's Celtics game. So, yes, if there's a big play, of course, in a big moment, yes, we are sports people. We are going to talk about that. But oftentimes I just found that that wasn't the most interesting thing to talk about, especially with Jerry and Kirk in the mornings. You know, before the show, we would be just bantering around and we were never talking about, oh, my God, I can't believe Belichick signed that linebacker. Like we would talk about actual stuff that we were passionate about. Well, this is why I brought that up, because I do not now currently listen to that particular radio station. And the reason is, well, you're not there, but the reason is I don't find it interesting. I'm not really that concerned about the, the halfback hole on the Patriots for next year. It's not anything that's grabbing me. I like them battling, but I don't like them talking about minutia. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, what's interesting is, though, so 98.5 had a different approach where especially their flagship show, Felger and Maz, is so sports centric. But if you listen to that again, they're not breaking down the yeah. 
third line play. They're talking about big picture stuff, you know, Brady versus Belichick, these really glitzy storylines that right. EI is pushing right. all the time now too. So yeah, it's, uh, it's about, and the other thing is too, Jordan is like back in the day, athletes only spoke to the media in the locker room. That was their only platform or they could arrange an interview. So what were those interviews about? Those interviews were about the games. Now they have social media. So LeBron James can tweet about the election. He can tweet about voting rights. He can tweet about anything he wants. And there's so much content out there. It just gets Mm. put in this machine and it's plastered all over every headline. And then you have a story. So I think that is a big part of it too, that athletes now are, can spout off about anything and whatever they want. So thus everything they say is news and on their own feeds, they're often not talking about sports. They're talking about issues like a lot of us. I mean, if you were a kid in the sixties as I was, the the whole notion of anyone even thinking about the national anthem and not standing or uh, not saluting, or even thinking about the anthem, just get it over with. Let's play the game. It's bizarre. Here's a question for you as a younger professional. What's the most surprising thing about the business when you get into it professionally? I mean, something that you may have thought, oh, it's going to be like this and it's not like that or it is like that. That's a great question. Um, I I always, you know, I interned for 98.5 in college. So I I was in that environment before I actually did it. So that's hmm, good. You're good at not your first stage. Well, (laughs) I, I. what was one thing that was surprising to you? What surprised me, and this goes back a lot of years, is here I was listening to these guys. I worked at WRKO when it was a right. music station, and I was listening to these amazing guys. And what surprised me, you mentioned this earlier, was how uh, insecure a lot of them were. Yes. And okay. and as boss jock as they sounded and as cool as they were, I walked in as a kid, you know, fearful of touching the wrong button. And these guys were messing up all over the place. And they were human beings. I think that's what surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the business end of it is what surprised me the most because it is truly a business. And if you look back at the Brady incident, for example, why was that such a big deal? Yes. It was detestable for me to make a a, a joke about, you know, to disparage his young kid, of course, but the station cared so much because Tom Brady was on our station. You know, if Tom Brady was not a guest on the station, a paid guest on the station, I don't think it would have been nearly as big of a deal from the station's perspective. So, you know, that, I mean, I was pulled into the program director's office a few times and pretty much every time it was based on something I said that potentially could have upset a sponsor. That's the key of it. You know, it's not just, people don't just get in trouble for saying controversial things. They want you to be controversial, but they don't want you to be so controversial that then a sponsor says something which makes it sometimes impossible to know what's expected. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I have often given talks and people ask about controversial radio people, uh, Howard Stern or or even the late Rush Limbaugh. And I say to them, the person running the radio station that has Rush Limbaugh on his air, one color matters, green, not blue, not red, but green. So what are you doing now? What's the current Alex Reamer day like? Yeah, so I just picked up a new position uh, working for Entercom, uh, my old company, a digital job. So writing sports for WEI.com and uh, a few other Northeast station sites, which is exciting for me because it's like riding a bike. You know, I've always been sports writing, sports columns. It's a good rhythm. So that's what I'm doing for most of my days. But I also have been the deputy managing editor of OutSports for the last year plus, which has been an amazing experience telling the stories of these LGBTQ athletes 
And it's really improved me as a journalist. You know, over the last year and a half, I've done a lot of freelance writing. I've kind of delved a little out of sports, doing more cultural stories as well and some political stuff. And I think I've, I've really now fallen in love with the craft of journalism. You know, I even go back to when I started writing for WEI. I always liked writing, but again, it was about let me just I'm so passionate about getting my opinion out there. Let's go column, 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 column. Whereas mm. now it's a part of my rhythm and I still love doing that, but like the craft of journalism and telling a good story is something that I've really come to appreciate. Can you share with me and with the audience uh, one or two examples of some of the folks you've covered in the out sports columns? We remember some of the, the bigger names in sports who take that first step, but I'm sure there are many yeah. that are unheralded. Tell us if you would, anyone. Yeah, I mean, actually, so out sports, most of the stories we tell are anonymous college and high school and even recreational athletes, because those are the people who are coming out every day, you know, and they really make a difference. Visibility matters. I told, I wrote a story last summer about this openly gay swim coach at Arizona State who had nine openly LGBTQ, uh, I'm sorry, he was a rowing coach at Arizona State and had nine openly LGBTQ rowers on his team, which I don't think would have happened if he wasn't an openly gay coach. Um, the other stories that always strike with me, Jordan, especially given all the politics around this, is the stories of trans athletes. We tell so many stories of young trans athletes who are coming out and they just want to play like anybody else. And there's a lot of, I think, fair debate to be had mm. about the Olympic level and professional levels. And when you're getting into meddling and physical advantages, there's certainly, I think, a lot to be said there. But just the total, the, the issue of young trans people who are coming out and dealing with the struggle and they view sports as a respite and a way to let free and let loose and be themselves and be other kids. Like that's what they want to do. And that's an issue that of course has been around for many years, but now personally covering it yeah. over the last year and a half, I've really become quite passionate. You're going to have a lot of stuff to cover with title nine arguments and with all yeah. kinds of things. I mean, from the emotional, the cultural, to the, to the legal, it's going to be a very interesting ride uh, as you continue to follow that, uh, that story. Now you're on a microphone <laughs> talking to me and I'm on a microphone what about podcasting? Yeah, so I do host a podcast with Outsports um, every week. And it's a, it's a different kind of podcast for me because it's a podcast where I really, like you're doing now, let the guest have the floor. Uh, mm -hmm. Every week I interview sometimes. Uh, last week it was Fallon Fox, who's a retired out transgender mixed martial arts fighter who's dealt with a lot of prejudice and discrimination in her career. That's a story I'm so interested in finding out about. A couple weeks ago I spoke with a former college volleyball player who's gay and now has his own OnlyFans page. I don't know if you know OnlyFans, so he's like kind of a, an amateur porn star, if you will. <laughs> like getting into that mindset. Really? Like, what? how does this make you feel? Do you feel liberated? So those are the, I mean, there's such a wide array of cool people to talk about, talk to. And that's what I like to do with my, with my little podcast. And finally, <clears throat> I still, I have the marks all over my arms, pinch myself because I can't believe how lucky I've been and how lucky I am even today talking to you and, and meeting all these great people. You're a heck of a lot younger than I am, but you're still getting things to do and, and discovering more and more opportunities. Two questions. Do you pinch yourself now? Consider yourself lucky to be where you are? And where would Alex want to be in, say, 10 years? So I do now because I left WEEI 
in August of 2019 to take a job at the State House that did not last very long and was not a great fit for me as a communications director, someone who's always <clears throat> given my own opinion. Now I was responsible to speak for an entire yeah, mouth, office. Mouth it didn't, piece, yeah. Yeah, it didn't quite, yeah, it didn't really quite feel comfortable. Um, so when you're away from the platform for a while, like I have, I think I appreciate it more and more because I will be honest, Jordan, you know, one of the reasons why I left WEI, I had this dream job. I was under contract for a few more years, but it was becoming, you know, I had a show every Sunday morning at Fenway Park and I would wake up to do that show a lot and like, was like, eh, I'm not that excited to do this mm. today. And I'm like, there's something deeply wrong here. What's going on? And now, of course, I would jump at the chance to do that. I've been doing overnight shows for the last year, which you've done overnights. That's oh, a beast yeah. in and of itself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, especially when you get away from it, I think, and live life without it, you realize, at least I've realized how lucky I am. To well, have a you, you have, uh, that bug that gets into your system that, uh, I'm saying, thankfully I have, and it's a, if you treat it well and you take care of yourself physically and emotionally, you'll, you'll do just fine. But that, that drive, that desire is what propels you forward to success. Absolutely. This is a business of human beings and people, and uh, you, anyone can learn the craft uh, and hone the craft, but it's learning how to deal with people. And that's one of the things that I think you've managed to do in plain view, <laughs> surviving on that morning show, because I heard morning after morning you taking a beating and giving it right back. I, I know your dad is proud of you and others are proud of you for, for hanging in there, because it can be tough can be but you know to go back to it at the end of the day this is fun you know i talk about the drive i loved doing that morning show i mean i i like i would walk in and look up at the sky it'd be like 5 30 in the morning and i'd say wow like in half an hour boston is gonna wake up i'm gonna have a chance to set the agenda for the day like that's pretty friggin' cool you it know is. Is. and so yeah it's uh it was fun it's always that has to be fun or else you're just it's absolutely not gonna work. man. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, we wish you the best. And uh, you really came across as somebody who's very sincere and you are sincere, but as somebody who's very uh, gifted and wants to contribute, which is what we're looking for. We need more contributors to the business. Thank you, my friend. Great to meet you finally. And great to uh, to connect, as they say. Jordan, I'm glad we could do this next time in person. Alex Reamer, a face and a voice to watch as he realizes his dream while standing strong. Want to say thanks as always to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, to Ken Carberry at Chart Productions, where this podcast is produced. I'll be announcing very soon the audio version of my book, On Air, My 50-Year Love Affair with Radio, all proceeds benefiting Boston Children's Hospital. And you can find out more at jordanrich.com. Hey, thank you for making this the popular podcast that it is, growing in numbers every single week. Certainly appreciate that. Until next time, Jordan is always saying, be well, so you can do good. Take care.